Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Pagans Tonight Radio Network, the voice of the pagan world. Pagans Tonight is sponsored by Witchschool.com, your anyone, anytime, anywhere magical education. Greetings all, and welcome to the Pagan Shine Show. The second Friday each month on the Pagans Tonight Radio Network has a lineup of three shows. Normally, the first show is hosted by Reverend Lily Green with her Bark, Meow, and Tweet show. But Reverend Lily is taking a break and will be returning soon. The second show is the Pagan Shine Show, and that's us, followed by Corellian Deep Waters with Reverend Stephanie Neal. If you can't listen to all of tonight's programming, Remember, these shows are always available in the archives, where you can jump ahead where you left off. Tonight, The Pagan Shine, and immediately following the show is Corellian Deep Waters with Reverend Stephanie Neal. The concept of this show is reflective of the definition of the word shine. Shine, to reflect light, to glisten, to distinguish oneself in an activity or field, to excel to aim or cast the beam or glow on others. Tonight, I am pleased to welcome some guests to the show to talk about the Corellian Doors program. This is part two, a continuation from last month where we discussed the overall program with Reverend Stephanie Neal and two of the door heads, uh, Reverend Lily Green, who heads the Purple Door, and that's the Shaman Path, and Reverend John Anastasio, the Green Door, and his door is Reclaiming Your Sacred Path. Uh, Tonight, uh, our guest will be Reverend Phoenix, and as soon as he uh, comes online, I will uh, bring him on. In the meantime, I thank you for spending this time with me, Uh, and since uh, my good friend Reverend Phoenix isn't quite here yet, we're going to have a a uh, musical interlude. I'm going to play our theme song, Shine, by Wendy Rule.
so anyway, uh, like I said, last month you had provided me some information about yours, but having you on in person is so much better. So I'd like to talk to you, and if you could just share with us about the Blue Door that recently opened and uh, how it's going. If you could tell uh, us. Sure, sure. Um, absolutely. I would love to talk about the Blue Door. Um, so the Blue Door is uh, really – uh, an academic door. There's not much focus on mysticism or, you know, personal spirituality or magic or anything like that. Like this door is dedicated to academic study um, and uh, kind of like a psycho-spiritual approach to um, kind of the role of a chaplain and what that looks like um, as uh, a member of pagan uh, Wiccan priesthood, right? Because the concept of a chaplain was primarily, well, was created by Christian faith and Christian clergy, right? But we are a growing faith um, worldwide, and there are plenty of us who have the calling to serve our communities through various different efforts. Um, and so I seized the opportunity to build the blue door around developing um, pagan clergy into paraprofessionals who can operate in that capacity. Um, and so I'm drawing on my uh, knowledge and my profession as a, as a counselor to kind of impart the most important aspects of this field um, into uh, the folks who are interested and um, right now, the Blue Door is fully operational, and there are some folks who are um, in the introductory phase right now, which is an introduction to uh, psychology as a social science, um, which is the first course. Um, it's a free course that anyone can go through, but it's the primary prerequisite to getting to a lot of the other juicy stuff that goes on behind the door. As far as the overall program, uh, how extensive is it? Is it a, uh, a six-month course or a, a nine-month? Right. So this course is um, like three years. Wow. Um, it, okay. It, yeah. So it's really it's really comprehensive, um, and the reason why it's so long is because the topic matter that we're going through is very very sensitive. Um, it's very detail-oriented, and there are skills that need to be developed incrementally along the way. Um, and this is not a this is not a self-timed, personal-paced course. Like I am teaching every single class that is behind this door, um, and so that there there are skills and there are benchmarks that I need to uh, help impart, help teach. Um, and then also assess for to make sure that the folks who are completing the blue door actually do what I say they can do, right? Because everyone who completes the blue door successfully um, will have completed coursework, like really intensively designed coursework. They will also complete um, projects and a supervised practicum or internship in their community doing the actual work of the course. You know, when they leave, of course, they get their certificate, but I also hand out a personalized letter of recommendation in case anyone wants to actually obtain a real paying job doing this. Um, so that's why it's three years. That's why it's very intensive. That's why I require an internship in their community 
um, that's supervised by professionals in the field. Now, how will they go about seeking that out since this is brand new uh, and oftentimes, like, whether it's in a college or vocational area or, you know, uh, higher higher education, there's some relationships with other organizations to yep. open up their doors to take on interns. How will you go about administering that? I know it hasn't happened yet, but what are your what are your plans there? Um, so part of the way that I'm accounting for this is, is I'm keeping cohorts very small. Um, so I can help 15 people at a time find an internship in their community by one brainstorming what their goals are, what they want to accomplish, what they want to achieve, what they want to be doing, and by taking a look at what resources are available in their communities. Um, and it's actually uh, a very collaborative effort between me and the students that I'm working with. Um, I can help them brainstorm, you know, what social work services are in the area. Um, I have access to uh, a lot of professional contacts throughout, you know, the country and some international con uh, contacts based on where I went to school for undergraduate and graduate school. You know, I went to a school that hosts a lot of international students, and I was exposed to a lot of people who um, do things nationally and internationally. And I actually worked to maintain those contacts a great deal. Um, and then where I went to grad school, I went to graduate school with people who are from different places all over the country. Um, and then we have an international tradition, right? So I definitely plan on using sure. the contacts that I have within our tradition um, to help kind of brainstorm what resources are available or what needs need to be met in various communities based on where, you know, our students are from. Mm -hmm. So what, what type of organizations would they intern in? Or would they be sort of like, a, I don't know, a, a counseling type organization where people go for counseling, maybe whether it's for, uh, uh, drug addiction or uh, that type of thing, or is it? Uh, I don't know. I'm 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 just uh, amazed at how extensive you're you're taking the blue door. So please, yeah. Tittily. So that's a great question. That's a great question. Um, so being a spiritual counselor, being a chaplain, there are certain limits on what you can and cannot do. Um. But then there's also, like, a surprisingly large amount of things that you can do. So, like, someone who works as a chaplain for an organization can bill insurance companies, right, for the work that they do. Um, so if there is a spiritually oriented substance abuse treatment program in someone's area and they decide that this is what they want to do, um, then, one, we can work together to design internship and curriculum that will help them get the knowledge base to be competitive in that kind of internship. And then we can apply together. Um, I can send out a professional email with professional letterhead um, listing my credentials and the work that, you know, my student has been doing um, and, you know, see if there are any internship openings that they can apply for. Um, just like with a larger institution, like students definitely still have to apply for internships based on what's available. Um, right, and so, right. And, and oftentimes, and many, they and not many right. institutions, um, not many institutions or agencies in communities that have high needs are going to be turning down free work. Uh -huh. Well, that's uh, right. Uh, 
I, I mean, in a sense, it's they don't want to turn down the free work, but if they if they are looking to say have an ongoing internship, you're, you're dealing with people from all over the country and internationally, right? So mm-hmm. if let's say I live in uh, uh, Paulding County in Georgia, so if if I were taking your your studies, if I were taking the Blue Door classes, and then I wanted to reach out and say I found a place, that may, I guess, say, oh, okay, and then next year someone else can come and next year, you know. In other words, it, it sort of could also drive up the, the, the people wanting to have an uh, intern every year if you, if you break into new areas. Like Absolutely. That. Absolutely, and uh, that's actually a part of the contingency plan for the internship part is to maintain relationships with folks who have had good experiences with our students. Um, And what my graduate school has done is they've offered some kind of incentive, Um, and so I would absolutely be willing to go to um, a place because, like, I have vacation time, you know, at work. I can take um, but I'd be willing to go to a place and do professional development um, for a place that is hosting an intern, right? Like there are certain things I can offer based on my degree that um, can be used to support in any organization in the United States, really. Um, it would be a little bit difficult for me to be like doing professional development in like South Africa or Spain or anything like that. But as far as like students go in the United States, like I can go to Alabama, I can go to Georgia, I can go to North Carolina, I can go to Kansas, Texas, Connecticut, and go to any of these places, and I can put together um, a very good, very specifically detailed presentation or workshop or training for any of these organizations that are hosting students through the Blue Door um, and help the staff that they have there fill in any kind of deficits that they may have in the work that they're doing. Wow, that that really... Uh... That's a tremendous thing that you're building. Uh, I'm so glad to hear it. Now, you know, that, of course, would that type of uh, internship, would would that be like in the final year if it's a three-year intensive training? Would that be yep. like the final part of it? Uh-huh. So you yep, have a little absolutely. bit of time to build up for that. Yep. Um, so like, uh, the intro to psychology class is um, the primary prerequisite that everyone has to take. But uh, following that, there are other things that need to be uh, taken that are super important um, to the work, right? So, like, one of them is human development. And so we take a look at what lifespan is like throughout the course of, you know, the human lifespan, starting at birth and going all the way through to death. Um, And so we start to take a look at uh, what is typical development, Um, what is atypical development, and then we also start to break into um, what happens in, you know, atypical development. We take a little bit of a look at um, developmental disorders and disabilities that can happen and what are some environmental factors that contribute to that. Um, We take a look at how personality develops. We take a look at how sexual orientation develops. I mean, that's all strictly from an empirical-based uh, psychology perspective, um, and the textbook that I'm using for that is actually the same textbook that I used um, in my own studies uh, a few years ago. Um, I really trust the publisher and the author, and it's filled with like a lot of like really up-to-date research about these things. Um, so, 
when you start a course like that or that segment of your of your program, you then have the people go out and get that book so they'll have it for the reference or get a get a uh, download book, something like that? Yep. So the first textbook um, in the Intro to Psychology is free. Um, I was able to find uh, that. Um, it was given away by the author. Um, huh. And it's, a, it's an Intro to Psychology book, and it's a really good book. I read some reviews on it. Um, I read it by some of my old professors who I still have um, some good contacts with. And uh, they were super okay with um, – with the content and they kind of like endorsed that it was a decent textbook. So I was confident and comfortable with um, delivering that to the students in the blue door. I mean, that's free. It's a PDF. It's in the group. Yeah. Because um, of the, that prerequisite, that being a prerequisite or, you know, the, this is your first step. Once you start a class, then people have to wait for another cycle or uh, another group to start, or is it, you'll work with them at whatever time they want to start the program? Um, so there is definitely a set time where it starts. Um, okay. There are 15 people in a cohort, and they all start at the same time. Um, and uh, I set the pace of the course. Um, it's usually a chapter or a lesson per week. Um, and the first, uh, the first course is 13 weeks. Um, and there are a combination of reading and videos to view. Um, and there's a, a midterm assignment, which is a paper, and a final assignment, um, which is uh, uh, designing a research project. Um, All right. And so they get the skills from that. They get the skills from uh -huh. that, like, in two of the chapters that are in – in the in the textbook and in the um in the course right so this intro to psychology course is really meant to be a scaffolding course that sets the frame for how we think about the stuff that's being presented the rest of the way um and so we definitely start to look at psychology as a social science that's meant to observe and predict behavior and less like, um, you know, we move away from Freud and we move away from Carl Jung who are like really fanciful in the occult justifications of, you know, like tarot and so on and so forth. And we move into the, you know, the thought processes of like Watson and Skinner um, who are very much pioneers in behavioral health because that is what's dominating the, the helping profession, right? Like you've got to know psychology You've got to learn how to talk psychology, and you've got to know, you know, how the field is developed. Mm -hmm. So that's why that course is, you know, the first one that uh, that has to be taken. That's the one that really kind of sets the stage for how we think about everything else that happens behind the blue door. Well, I'll tell you, that sounds very impressive. Now, you know, I, I know it's geared towards pastoral counseling and things like that. So for people to sign up, do they need to have a certain level of degree through the through whatever uh, tradition they may uh, be a, as a cert certified clergy? Is there right. Any type so of it's definitely ideal for people who are clergy. Um, and so I'm not uh, denying entrance to anyone who's um, not a Karelian. Like you can be clergy from any place. 
Um, mm-hmm. But just be prepared that I will ask, um, like, if I don't know that you are clergy for whatever reason, um, then I will ask for a credential. I will ask for a contact to confirm, you know, your clergy status. That's really just it. Right. Like, you have to, I don't, like, the degree clergy doesn't matter. You can be first, second, eighth, twelfth, like, whatever. Um, You're basically looking for whether that person has that desire in their heart to to serve as a clergy Absolutely. And so, yeah, because in my mind, in my opinion, and in my spirit, I feel like um, this is a way to build a healthy ministry. This is a way to manifest why you took clergy oaths to begin with into the real world, right? Like this goes beyond posting open sabbats for your community. This goes into that I am actually going to use my mind and my body and my compassion to reach out to someone else who has need. So there would always be opportunities possibly for offering their services within a hospital environment for someone who maybe would like to have a a pagan or a Wiccan clergy, if that's what their background is, who have taken your classes. Absolutely. That's, Absolutely. And I realize they don't need that in order to offer if they're a, you know, if they have a certification as a clergy, and they want to offer their services at a hospital, each hospital is different what their requirements are. But with this additional certification that you're working with, that would just only add to the probably the ease with which they could get entrance into a hospital. I would think. Right. So you could put this, and I can help whoever wants it. You can put this on your resume, and we can talk about how this looks on a resume or a CV, right? Because, like, you put time, effort, and energy into learning this stuff. Like, it might as well go to use for you when you want to, you know, start to manifest how this looks in your life. Oh, yeah, by all means. I mean, uh, to, to, to do the work and not apply it, it's sort of, well, okay, they gained the student would gain the knowledge, but what's the purpose if you don't apply it in your community and your endeavors to to uh, reach out to others? So it's, it's yep. very, very excellent. Okay, and so that is the blue door. Now, uh, for any listeners, as Lord Phoenix has mentioned, uh, that class has already started. I don't know if you have a waiting list for the next cycle or anything like that. Is there uh, something we could mention either uh, for future listeners or I can post in the chat room how to contact you or for um, yeah certainly so uh, you can contact me on Facebook it's Phoenix Williams um, and you can send me a message like I'm interested in the blue door I will put you in um, a blue door waiting room um, or like in an in information group um, and that will be a place where you can get any preliminary information that you might have while you are kind of waiting to make a decision about uh, whether or not it's for you. Um, you can ask me any questions about uh, my educational and um, professional background um, because, you know, knowing that, it, like knowing who your teacher is and what they're qualified to do is absolutely um, essential and very responsible. Um, for, you know, students to kind of consider. 
Um, Very if you good. Have any, right. So um, you can hit me up on Facebook, and I will do that. Or you can email me. It's uh, rev.phoenix1 at gmail.com. Just put blue door in the subject line, and uh, you can communicate with me that way as well. Okay, that's good. Uh, Phoenix, I did try to post the Facebook link in the chat room, but for some reason um, I'm not live. I don't know what happened there. I have the chat room open, but I can't seem to type. So anyway, as Reverend Phoenix has said, Facebook, uh, Phoenix Williams. Uh, yep. I, I know you change your picture every so often, so I can't really suggest uh, a certain look, but I don't know how many other Phoenix Williams are out there, but as far as he lives in Buffalo, New York, that should narrow it down. Absolutely. Find um, that thing. Also, I shaved my head recently, so I don't even look the same. <laughs> <laughs> the the times that I've seen you, you've always seemed to have a different look each time through uh, at the mm-hmm. annual illustration each year. It doesn't look like a uh, – oh, I saw – you have a Slytherin photo in your – in your photos, but you haven't shaved. That's you said you shaved your head. Yeah. Woo. Boy, have I'm, you ever I'm done that, that before? Um. So if you like, if you ever go to my Facebook and you look back to some of the pictures, you'll see that I've always been like a short-haired person. Like this recent long hair thing, which is like a phase that I went through for the past few years, and now I'm just like returning to where I was a few years ago with you know the hairstyle. Okay. All right. Well. Always changing. Sometimes going back, right? (laughs) Well, is there – I actually want to bring up another couple doors uh, as a part of this Part 2 program, but is there anything else you wanted to convey for for people? I think the important part was that you gave for future contacts since your pod now has started, and so there's a waiting period, but uh, you gave a nice, thorough – review and if it's a three-year course i'm sure you only covered a portion of the subject matters that will be covered in the course of yeah. three years um, um yeah but uh if i had to say anything it would be about the door program in particular like there's definitely something here for everyone um for anyone to expand uh, their knowledge or their access to their own spirit I definitely would um, encourage anyone listening to explore what is in the blue door and just kind of like pray or meditate on where your spirit wants you to go and check it out. Yes, you can take a look at all of the uh, door programs if you go to acrillion.com. And across the top there is a bar, and look for the word more. If you click on that and near the bottom of that drop-down, you'll see the door program. And once you get there, then you can see the wide range of doors, uh, some of which we talked about on the last show, and which I'm looking to uh, finish up with uh, on this show. So, okay, that's great. Now, Phoenix, if you want to stay on, you're welcome to stay on. I'm going to give a little brief overview for uh, the turquoise door, the Sea Priestess Path. Uh, And then I'm going to be talking about the door that I'm opening up on Sunday which you have already signed up for, so <laughs> yeah, uh, you're welcome that. to stay on. Huh? I said, yes, let's start that. Okay, yeah. Well, I saw your <laughs> most recent post. Let's get started. <laughs> Sunday it is. <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much for uh, 
telling you know talking to our listeners about what the blue door has behind it. Okay, Thank you so, so much for having me, sir. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing your Friday night, your fun Friday night with me. Okay, so uh, one of the other doors in uh, the Doors program on the Curlian Tradition website is the Turquoise Door, or the Sea Priestess Path. This is headed by Reverend Aisha Bujerman. Uh She hails from us, hails to us out of the Northeast area. Uh, she's basically opened this door up earlier this year. Uh, the group is where you can grow into a sea priestess, if you like. The sea priestess path was created magically in 1968. Uh, this path was this uh, was taught. Actually, this was created by Stephanie Neal, and it's a path that she's taught throughout her life, and introduced it to the Kralian. Carillion tradition in 2005 through the World Walkers Order. Uh, those of you who are uh, active members of Witch School uh, may have uh, taken an earlier course, the Sea Priestess Path, the Sea Priestess, uh, but that was put into Witch School probably five or six years ago, if not longer. Uh, the founder of this path is the first priestess of the Carillion Nativist tradition. However, the teachings come from a lifetime of living as a sea priestess and learning from amazing teachers, which include Chancellor Don Lewis and uh, Most Reverend Crystal High Corral. Uh, and uh, it's basically drawn from, from life experiences and from many of the countries that she's traveled. Uh, Reverend Aisha took this on this recent year as a whole separate door program where people will are given lessons on a regular basis uh, and uh, I've heard nothing but good things from it so it is based upon a book that was published by uh, Stephanie Leon Neal that's available for publication uh, for that class which is started but I believe Reverend Aisha has a waiting room uh, at the end of the program there's an, a $30 initiation fee so that's it, and in addition, uh, the turquoise door to the turquoise door, there is a similar class in Spanish, and that's uh, the red door, and that's hosted by Reverend Ira Aseret. Uh She's a high priestess within the uh, Carilion tradition, and uh, she she has been uh, doing the sea priestess path for, I think, a couple of years in Spanish. So. Uh, that's the good thing about the, the DOOR program, and uh, we're thankfulness for so many of our Spanish-speaking members who are taking courses written in English, taking the courses, and then taking on the responsibility of sharing them with their community in the Spanish-speaking world. So that is that is a... Okay, uh, okay. Yeah, so uh, those who wish to take this course in Spanish uh, can contact through the red door uh, and get in contact with Archpriestess Ira Soret, living in Spain. So, all right, so that is... Uh, 
my limited ability to talk about the turquoise door. However, for the final door tonight I wanted to talk about is the indigo door. This is a door that I'll be heading up, Mike Neal, and this is the Discovery Tarot Path. Uh, here again, this is another course that was uh, founded and written by the Most Reverend Stephanie Leon Neal. It is a nine-month training, and it's only offered once a year. Uh, the course goes for approximately nine, nine months, with lessons being given out uh, posted in Facebook. It's done through the Facebook group uh, every two weeks. And there's still time to sign up if anyone would like to consider the tarot path, discovery path. Uh, it will be beginning on this coming Sunday, the 15th. This is Friday the 13th, our lucky day. And uh, a little something about the course. Let me tell you, uh, it's basically broken into three components uh, in approaching the tarot. Uh, the numerals approach, uh, this helps one to see the connection of each card in a number set. And then the second approach was taken generally from the Curlian Traditions World Walkers House of Cards. This reveals how the tarot aligns with the soul monads. Now here, if you've never learned about monads, this is a fun way to learn about them and the tarot together. Uh, many within the tradition, uh, at least the Krillian tradition, I'm not sure of others, uh, the, the teachings on the monads is, uh, is at the higher level. Uh, however, it's not that someone who is not a uh, candidate for clergy or third degree can't uh, learn about them. So it's a, a great way to incorporate the tarot and the monads. And then the third approach, and this is the one that really tickles me, it's a new approach that was de designed by Stephanie, and it's for individuals to read their own cards when solutions need to be found, uh, called the keys. And what uh, this entails is that there are specific keys, symbols, within the tarot that when looked upon as a group or a spread using the, a similar key in all the cards, you can then do a reading uh, primarily for yourself. So often, tarot readers say, oh, "I can't really read for myself. I just don't. I just don't, you know, get it, or I just don't get what I'm supposed to be getting." And uh, Lady Stephanie developed this as a means to help people to uh, read their own cards. So for the course, uh, whether you are a seasoned tarot reader or a beginner, you will further learn the tarot with three different approaches. Uh, so here again, whether you've been reading for a while or just beginning, the course will be perfect for you. Uh, it's beginning this July 15th, and uh, as far as I'll give you an idea of what, what the work will entail, there will be written work that will be uh, posted within the Facebook group, and along with that there will be some uh, links for audio uh, lessons that Stephanie has recorded and that will be available. And in addition to that, uh, she will, the way the course is outlined, um, I'm the facilitator, she's the creator, Stephanie was the creator, but uh, 
one of the key elements will be using the Weight Rider Smith Tarot cards. That's a very important element. It's going to be the, the core set of Tarot cards that are used for the in, entire course. And it will become very important because of the all three approaches, the numerals, the monads, as well as the keys. So uh, that's one of the prerequisites is that you you should eventually get a deck of cards. But for those who don't have who haven't secured the cards yet, uh, part of the work will be each week tracing. I'll be presenting images in both color and black and white that uh, the person can use to trace, or if they have the deck, they can use their deck uh, after carefully securing them to a surface so they can trace it properly, but without ruining the cards. And I have suggestions on what type of, uh, not adhesives, but uh, what I call dots, architectural drafting dots, that can easily be used to secure the card to a surface and then your tracing paper over it. Now the reason for the tracing is so that in the in the course of going through this, in the during the nine months of going through this, you will have traced every single tarot card in black and white. And the key factor there is that you will get to know these cards so well that down the road you can envision, say, doing a three card spread in your head you know, what your higher self may give you as cards, and you'll be able to visualize them and know what that card looks like in your mind, so to speak. So the tracing allows you to really imprint all the elements of that card. There are so many keys and facets of it that will only increase your knowledge of that card, but also increase your ability to do tarot readings. So that might seem like uh, meticulous work, and it is. You want to have a comfortable sitting position as you're doing those, and you figure in the course of nine months, that's 39 weeks. Uh, of course, is being given out every two weeks, so we're talking about 18, 19 sections. So we're looking at anywhere between four and five cards to trace every two weeks. Uh, and that will be work that, when it's done, will be submitted uh, so that I know you're doing the work. And in addition, uh, another factor each week is for every, for people to just choose one symbol, something that reaches out to them. It could be a bird in flight. It could be a certain symbology, uh, uh, a checkerboard-type pattern or uh, columns or something like that, and do some research as to their meanings. Now, all the books on Tarot will give you a wide range of what each card represents, and, and that's important. But what this course will do will just drive, uh, allow, you, allow you to really absorb that information, the picture, to see that picture. Each picture actually you know, tells a story. And then that's one part of a story. And then when you do a spread, you'll see the story unfold. So different uh, spreads will be uh, offered as examples of how to do some reading. So it, it's really a, a comprehensive course. Uh, I, I realize that some people can go to a, 
uh, a weekend session, uh, how to read tarot cards and come away with the ability to read. But what this is is just to really to you actually get to live and breathe and mentally memorize these cards so that down the road when you're doing a reading, you can allow your inner self, your 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 higher self to come forth with a reading for somebody. The door is appropriately named indigo because uh, for the chakra, the indigo or the third eye, uh, and that's so much what is important when doing readings. So, I mean, that that's pretty much how the course is laid out. It's every two weeks, an assignment of tracing anywhere from uh, three to five tarot cards, uh, reading about those particular, not about those cards, but about the, the one of the subgroups, whether it be the, the numerals, the monads, or the keys, and then uh, applying that in your in your studies. Basically, uh, it'll be built card upon card, and by the end, you will be very familiar with all 78 cards. You will have the you know the wherewithal to see all the standard meetings because pretty much every tarot book that is published will give you the correspondences, those things that each card typically, and I say typically, uh, represent uh, as far as their their meanings. And that's, you know, where people start out with, uh, start out with uh, learning, oh, I'm sorry, uh, learning about the cards. And here again, I, I want to stress, this is all focused on this, the Weight Rider Smith deck. That's the, say, the most popular. If you uh, go into a uh, metaphysical shop or if you go online, chances are you're going to see the Weight Rider Smith card. That the Smith is the artist and uh, Weight and Rider were the uh, creators of the uh, the meanings and the original the original deck. Uh, we we have seen other ones out there. Some of them are called the uh, the uh, Radiant or the Universal. Uh, I would say you might want to stay away from those because in order to get a new copyright or to create a copyrighted deck the creator had to change something. They look very similar to the original deck, but if you can find the Weight Rider deck without Universal or Radiant related to it, you'll have the right deck. Uh, in the course, this will be the first time this course has gone through, as in all the courses that Stephanie Neal has created through the years, she has always used uh, our temple as the uh, oh, training ground, so to speak, the uh, where she vets out or works out the, the kinks when she's coming up with a course. Uh, down the road, sometime later this year, actually it will be published. It's all copyrighted material. And the uh, Dis Discovery Path throw book will be uh, available sometime in the future. Uh, we have not gotten a production date on it. You don't need the book to take the course. There is a $30 fee that's payable within uh, 30 days of starting the course, and that will include a 
an initiation at the end for the, the uh, Tarot path and a certification. So you can still sign up for this. Uh, the easiest and best way, since I can't get to the chat room and post it, uh, is to go to Facebook and search for Indigo Door. And uh, when you find Indigo Door, look for the uh, results of that search with a, a, a black and white modern uh, ink drawing. And certainly that is uh, an impression of what you'll be doing, is doing tracings of the cards. But it's not a, it's not a tarot card. It's just a black and white modern sort of pop culture ink image. In addition, one other course is uh, offered in the Indigo Door, and that's the uh, Second Degree Comparative Religions course. This is uh, was written by Chancellor Don Lewis, High Corral, and although it is not now, in the near future it will be a part of the Second Degree Clergy requirement for initiation. It'll be the last thing that has to be done before initiation. So I think that uh, is a pretty clear indication of the Tarot door, actually the Indigo door, which includes the Tarot discovery path. Uh, if you have any questions, you can contact me, again, through that Facebook group, uh, the Indigo door, or if you uh, are a part of the Pagan Shine Facebook group, you can contact me through there, or I'm um, Michael Neal on Facebook, where you can call, you can contact me at Mike J Neal, that's N-E-A-L, at Earthlink.net. So I think I've covered everything there. I just want to mention a couple other doors that are coming up to complete this door programs. We have the gray door. Uh, that's the Aphrodite priesthood training. That is currently under construction, and it will be headed by Etienne Estrella de la Tarde, High Priest. And uh, he will be offering that, I believe, in both English and Spanish, all within the same door. If you want to check out the other doors program, here again, I suggest you go to Corellian.com, and under the More tab, look for the doors program. In addition, uh, another one that's under construction, this is... Uh, Stephanie's latest work will be on mediumship. Uh, that is cer certainly under construction. Uh, and then the Black Door, and that's World Walker Training. That is probably uh, one of our uh, older, uh, started out as an order, and it's still an order. Uh, by all means, it's still an order. But that is being offered, and it's open to the community through the Black Door, and that one is headed by uh, Reverend Stephanie Neal, First Priestess of the Krillian Tradition. So, uh, there again, if you have any questions, contact me as I had indicated earlier. I'll be glad to hear from you. In the meantime, I'm going to put on a song so I can get a sip of something to drink for talking for so long. And this one is another favorite from one of my favorite pagan singers, songwriters, musicians, Wendy Rule, called Radiate.
Brian Henke in the song called I Will Fill Your Eyes with Dreams. Welcome, this is Krillian Deep Waters with Reverend Stephanie Neal. And today we are going to discuss the house of dreams and specifically the topic uh, about dreams is going to be about houses. All right. So, in your dreams, a, if a house uh, appears in your dreams, it usually represents your life. Now, this is only within the World Walker's uh, house. Uh, normally, uh, whenever we're, we are interpreting dreams and sharing our dreams, we rely heavily on our own interpretations of uh, because since it is in fact a unique language that belongs to uh, us and that it is us that has the responsibility to encode uh, each of our own symbols uh, within uh, within each of uh, our dreams and yet but when we're talking about our life in uh, um, the World Walker's order inside the house, we have all agreed and accepted uh, on the most part that when we do see a house, uh, that this represents uh, our our life. So that's why I wanted to add that little caveat uh, before uh, I go any further. So... So let's picture a house, and with, as we're picturing the, the house, it doesn't necessarily have to be a house that you live in 
or that you lived in when you were younger or a child. It can't, can't, it can be that, but it can be a, a very general type of uh, foundation or form. So looking at the house, the ground uh, floor is represents your daily life. So anything you see within that floor, just continue to keep that in your mind as you're, you're interpreting uh, the condition of that ground floor or the colors and the items that you find, the actions, uh, the animals, anything that you find that always uh, pair everything that you see there uh, with that concept that we are looking inside a house on the, on the ground floor. Now, the front part of the house or living room is your daily activities uh, and or your interactions with other people. So once again, you'll do the same thing as you are interpreting this particular part of your dream within this particular part of your house. This is what you will be considering that, all right, I'm, in, I'm at this particular section of the house, so I'm going to really focus in on, well, it, what, what happened to me today or what will happen to me tomorrow and, and what types of people am I uh, working with that I, I need to have clarity uh, and, you know, on and on. And then the kitchen represents health. Uh, or diet, or just nurturing. Uh, many also agree that the hearth, which is a, a, sometimes in a, a dining room, at least the the, the older homes, you'll find uh, a uh, fireplace, a hearth uh, in in the kitchen, or in the dining room. Well, in fact, really, the older houses you find uh, hearths uh, all throughout the house. Then the bathroom uh, represents cleansing, uh, what needs to be uh, cleared away uh, within your life, uh, releasing, and uh, can also refer to health problems. Uh, and uh, uh, and possibly those times when you you just need to pamper yourself. And it's just a reminder to say, well, maybe you just need to to uh, have, have, uh, put on a face mask tonight, or have yourself a bubble bath, or just something that that you need to just to relax and enjoy yourself. Then comes the bedroom, um, and this is uh, your personal self. It represents secrets. It represents rest. And if you are married or in a uh, long-term relationship, uh, the bedroom can also represent uh, the relationships also. So when you're looking at, at the bedroom in your dream, uh, what does it look like? The, is it beautiful or is it, is it tattered? Uh, is it, uh, you know, what, what colors are, are involved there? Is it bright or is it dull? So there's lots and lots of questions to, to be posed within each part of the house. And then we come to the closets, which also can mean uh, secrets or just storage, or which could be 
memories as well as abilities you have but are not fully utilizing or have not really uh, recognized that, in fact, you do have a specific ability. And now that it's starting to percolate above the surface and you're beginning to recognize that, indeed, you do have a, a, uh, a, a skill, uh, ability that you are ready to, well, first reveal to yourself and then to uh, in service to others. And the closet also can also mean you are hiding something from yourself. Then the second floor in your house is your mind, uh, your attitudes, your thoughts that you uh, consistently hold. If you are doing something on the second floor and the mood and furnishings are pleasant with a solid uh, floor, uh, what you are thinking or planning in your daily life is sound and uh, beneficial. If the room is dark, oppressive, cluttered, uh, your attitudes uh, or your thoughts and plans uh, may need to have a little more reworking, or more, a little more consideration, uh, uh, it needs to be involved with your plans. If the floor is shaky or has missing boards or it slants dangerously, your plans uh, may have a poor foundation and you should re-examine those obviously. And now we move to the addict or third floor. And the addict or third floor refers to your spiritual life and your ideals. It can also be a place of uh, initiations. You know what I'm talking about, that as we move through our metaphysical trainings, from time to time, we have initiations within our dreams. And if this space is neat and pleasing, all is well. If it isn't, or if something needs repair, you should pay attention to it. Now we move down a few floors and we go to the basement. Now the basement represents our subconsciousness. Now, now I'm going to make, make it clear again that, of course, our subconsciousness or our thoughts or anything I've already described can be represented by almost anything. But this, for this particular uh, lesson within the World Walkers, we, we plug the subconsciousness uh, in this, inside, inside of a house, in, uh, in the basement. And, but I'm just making it clear that this is not the only way or only symbol that needs to be revealed uh, when you're working with any of these. So it so represents the subconscious mind and occasionally refers to the past, uh, well, specifically past lives. So sometimes you will dream um, of coins or jewels in a basement. These may be uh, past life skills that are available to you. If you dream of rooms that you did not know uh, were there, this shows you are 
able to expand in your life in some way. Now, so these rooms are opportunities that you have. We all have opportunities waiting for us. So do not be concerned if you live in an apartment or a one-story house. In your dreams, there are many, many stories that you have already designed on the astral anyway throughout the eons. And so you will dream of different floors anyway as your inner self brings your attention to different areas of your life. When you dream of a place where you have lived in the past, your dream is telling you that you are involved in an issue or repeating patterns of beliefs or attitudes or behaviors that you had when you lived there then. And then you ask yourself, are they surfacing within this lifetime? And that's for you to answer. And then relate what is going on in your life now to what was going on then. Was your life there happy or sad? Are your beliefs different now than they were then? What issues are in your life now? And what issues were in your life then? What part of your past are you possibly repeating? Are you making better decisions now than you did then? Is there a lesson learned in the past that can be applied to your present life? Oh, that answer is always yes, by the way. Are you possibly repeating an attitude or negative thinking or anger? Working with this kind of dream symbol takes some time, but can clarify what is going on in your life right now. Go back over your dream journal and check for dreams of houses. If you find any, apply the interpretations of this lesson uh, to them and see if it applies. Be alert in your dreams for when houses appear. In other words, when they appear, you may be dreaming about something completely different and all of a sudden you're in a house. So the when inside of a dream could possibly be that you're dreaming a dream inside a dream. Now don't let that confuse you. Just know that you have full uh, ability to interpret it, to interpret both. Now that you are focused on houses, your dreams will likely respond to your attention. Well, that's even in this uh, physical life too. That's absolutely true. That anything we we focus upon, it becomes clarified. And continue to ask your dreams questions. Now, they do not need to be big questions, but the issues that concern you in daily life. You have full authority. Your communications with with your inner self through dream is a direct access to the help and guidance 
that is available to you. So stay alert. Uh, working with your dreams for help and guidance on issues with which you have not asked for help. And yet remember, there are many times that you are the one that helps others interpret or in guidance and for help when you are inside a dream. So develop these muscles and keep them strong as we learn to be alert Within our dreams, we become more alert in our waking moments, which reveals uh, well, which reveal more solutions or issues not seen before this work. So dreams many times can open doors for you, doors that maybe you've never seen yet they were there all along. Are you going to be taught or are you going to be the teacher? So drawing your dreams. A way of connecting with your dreams is to have a sketch pad and to draw them. They can be stick figures. Uh, No artistic ability is needed for this. You can use any medium for this as long as it is in color. So we would use crayons or colored pencils or markers or or watercolors. Another time, uh, instead of drawing the the literal details, pick a color that feels like each dream setting, a person and symbol. So you may just be drawing only colors, and it is your higher self that will commune and interpret and attune to what's going on in the dream. This makes a deep connection at the subconscious level. When I do this, I feel an almost uh, exciting response to my dreams, knowing that, all right, now I've just drawn this. Now I can't can't wait to see what is revealed uh, to me in my next dream. Or you can... Cut or print objects from many pictures, creating a meaningful collage. And it's the same, that it'll do the same thing. So let's say you have difficulty uh, difficulty remembering dreams. By drawing or creating a a collage for one month with the intent of of remembering your dream. So all, all those supposedly impulse pictures Uh, that you see throughout your day, uh, put it on a piece of paper, draw it out, or cut out uh, a a picture. Because there's a very good chance that it's your dream calling you back to it. And are indeed, well, it is calling you. Then this will many times help you remember about this particular dream. Then ask, what does this picture mean to my life? Even though I can't remember my dream yet, at least you can begin uh, asking questions of what you received in your imagination. And and then actively receive your answers by living your life. I want to say that again. 
actively receive your answers by living your life. So strangers in your dreams. If you dream of a person you do not know, this is significant, especially if you see the person very vividly. This can be a guide or a teacher, perhaps even yourself in a past or present life. When you have dreams like this, ask your guides who it is and what uh, meaning they have for you. You know, I know I always say so many times, ask your guide, but I'm assuming the first person you ask is you because you have the answers inside you also. So pay attention to your life because there is where your your answers uh, lie. So visitations to... Dream walk is to first create an um, astral uh, or a uh, dream space that is yours in the astral and then invite someone into that space in your dream. So that's what I mean by visitation. I'm not talking about mediumship related to this particular subject. It's just that I know in mediumship uh, that the visitation means something completely different. But we, what we are doing right now is uh, setting up a special space for just others to visit you, a safe space. Now, create such a space uh, for yourself, uh, one that is used only, only for this purpose. It could be a room or a temple, an outside place, but it needs to be protected that you are totally comfortable within this dream space. Make it as vivid and clear in your mind as you can. Then visit it every night for approximately one month, adding detail and investigating this venue. Now that you have created your dream space and are familiar with it, it is time to invite someone to visit you there. Before falling asleep, decide to become lucid in a dream and find yourself in this dream space you created, then invite a person into your dream space. This should be someone you have already discussed this with whom is willing to participate in this dream visitation by obtaining clear permission. Decide what your intent is and who you are inviting into your dream place. Then fall asleep with great expectation. Arrive at your dream place and see the expected person's face at the entrance. When he or she uh, arrives, graciously welcome them 
into your dream. Decide what you both want to experience or a place to travel or a master teacher with which you would like to converse. Once you both finish visiting, say farewell and enjoy the rest of your dreams. Continue visiting until one of you decides to meet in a waking state to compare notes. Everything does not need to match because you may be seeing the same thing with completely different perspectives, yet the overall message will be the same. Not all the details of this experience and be sure to journal them. And an example of this is uh, you may be both looking at uh, an elephant, but one of you may be looking at it from the front, and the other may be looking at um, the elephant at the side, and you both will see different things, yet you're seeing the same thing. So that's what I mean. And another time, uh, invite a person to the dream space uh, without letting them know. In other words, it's already been established that you have received permission to do this, but it's almost like a, a friend uh, popping in as like a surprise, but yet it uh, has been set up previously, but you're not telling each other when that surprise is going to happen. It's that kind of thing. So enter your dream space consciously in an altered state of con um, uh, consciousness and invite someone. So you do not need to be sleeping, by the way, to do this, to dream or to go to your place. You may invite someone who has crossed over. This can be a loved one, a famous person you have always admired, or you may ask for a, uh, a, a person that happens to be you in the future. The invitation may not always be accepted, by the way, but it, is, uh, but it uh, will, more often than not, it, it will be accepted. Work with this concept until it becomes second nature for you, because it's fun, it's fascinating, and it develops your dream control. And so now moving on to uh, the recapping dream morality. So it is unethical, unethical to enter into an, another's dream. If you see someone you know, you have either called for her or him to enter, or the person may be requesting to enter. If you feel a person in your dream, ask yourself if she or he was invited by you. And you will know with no doubts. If you wish to enter another person's dream, once again, ask for permission. Or, or stand a respectable distance away from another's dream and then ask for permission. So things, and, and normally um, this is done between two close friends or two uh, uh, 
family members. There, there needs to be a, a, a trust factor there, a, a comfort factor, so that, that you're, you're both relaxed and comfortable with each other so that you can carry on and go on with your journey, whatever you have planned for that particular dream. So things to consider for easier dream interpretation. The first concept to consider is the notion that all dreams are symbols. And to identify a symbol is for one purpose, for communication. Communication has four parts, speaking, actively listening, understanding what is being conveyed, and applying understood information. When we are given information in our dreams and decide not to take its advice, then that precept diminishes. Actively uh, bring your dreams into your waking life. It is imperative to allow ourselves to dream so that we may begin to communicate both ways with our higher self and lower self, both speaking and listening to the response. Communication is just not one entity sharing information. True communication is actively listening, understanding, and applying received information. If we do not apply our dreams to our life once understood, then the capacity to communicate with dream once again diminishes. Your soul knows if you are indeed actively communicating with it in a deliberate way, because for sure it it is deliberately communicating with you. Some ask why we are here. That's usually a very heavy question but the soul can handle it. The main reason why we are here is to be introduced and develop our soul, then to enter into its living, radiant precepts that we created in the first place. Your soul is saying, come to me, it was all of you that set up this bridge this dream to stay awake. This was your idea to find me through your dream because the soul bridge, the dream, is utterly personal and unique to everyone. We must find our own dream language. Your code is not found outside yourself. To buy a service whereby another person tries to interpret your dream is impossible because it is not your code they are interpreting. It is their code while interpreting your dream. Of course, it is fun discussing dreams. However, always uh, couch your interpretation by saying first, if it were my dream, I would interpret it this way. But It is not my dream. It is yours. And then have a fun conversation. 
but it's clarifying. Uh, you're you're giving a a, uh, a qualifier there before you start going back and forth with interpretations. And when we decide it is not worth the time or effort to interpret our own dreams, we effectively turn off the lights on that bridge, at least for now. We created in the beginning. The bridge is still there. The dreams are still there. We just cannot see it or see them to find what we need to find. Maybe this this lifetime we're not interested in learning about our soul, our uh, our dream language. So I challenge you to dream for self and for soul. Now that you know that you have your own language, your own heartbeat, your own song and journey to express, let us continue to study symbol. Our dream language consists of many groups of pre-designed symbols, once again proved by us. Before we popped into this reality system, dreams are our active night vision and waking dreams, which have their own language as well. All symbols are divided essentially into ten groups, and they are the universal archetypal uh, archetypal, uh, symbols, which are understood by everyone on this planet. And examples of that is mother and child, or the the spear, or fire, or home, or water, and so on. The second is cultural symbols. Each uh, Each culture sees the following in different ways. Uh, like war paint or eagles or any animal or myths or medicine stones of the first nations of each country. Then the third is um, the cultural timeline. Uh, motifs such as the, the leaning figures uh, or, and statues of the Gothic period, the realistic detail of the Renaissance, the cave paintings in France. Uh, the heavy-legged furniture of the Jacobean period, or the beautiful swirls of the French Rococo, and so on. So that's uh, so these different motifs show up through different timelines. And then we have family symbols, symbols a family uh, agrees on as bad or good omens, a blackbird or a color or a, a, a rogue wind that blows suddenly, a blackbird sitting on a porch may be a baneful sight of a coming death for one family, while the same blackbird sitting on a porch may mean something wonderful this way comes. And the fifth, dream symbols, our own personal sovereign symbols, which we have talked about, which in turn is an active language. This encoding is a bridge from us to us. All our helpers, our higher self, our soul, and our deity resides within us. And our dreams are the place to find them inside us. Then there's revelation symbols. The source gives us a new symbol to consider and incorporate into our dream language 
and or our waking life. A revelation symbol may uh, also be uh, long-forgotten symbols uh, to help activate our sleeping memory, a symbol that you've never seen anywhere in your life pops up in your dream. That's important. Is it something that has been forgotten, or is it something that I'll, I will experience uh, in the future? Then we, then we are symbols. We are a symbol using symbols, and we keep utilizing symbols until one day we do not need to use symbols any longer. Then there are numbers. Numbers are an amazingly accurate interpretation tool, which makes sense since everything is based on number. Of course, they can also be used to explain every symbol and every dream. Then as movement and music are symbols as well, because they are a form of a two-way communication. There is no denying that when one sings or dances, nature joins in and vibrational joy rises, which means all possibilities arise. Then there's nature herself, creates symbol and communication. Though not a category, there are still influences that commune with us. Examples are our lifestyle speaks to us, our astrological sign, our attitude, our family culture, our likes and dislikes, our totems, our spirit guides, our training in dream work, our beloved ancestors, our careers, our job, the country we live in, all affect us, all affect how we perceive a symbol in our dreams. The attorney, artist, and carpenter will all interpret the symbol, the hammer, in a completely different way, as it should be. Now that we have identified each symbol classification, we can begin to explore and encode our symbols. Listen to your instincts instinctive interpretation, then test it. By testing your ability to encode your own dreams will add clarity and focus to your interpretations and to your life. You will grow from the inside out. Some of the methods I use to encode my symbols are uh, some psychic skill, uh, numerology, uh, turning the, the main symbols into uh, numerals, uh, which is the same thing as numerology, I guess, and of, uh, of course ancestors uh, speaking and communicating with myself. And uh, the top of the list is, in fact, meditation and automatic drawing, automatic writing, and as we work with each dream, our astral body uh, awareness becomes clearer as 
even recorders. So as we're astral traveling in our meditation, we'll, we'll see our astral bodies clearer, uh, yes, because of, of, of practice and use, but a lot, a lot of that strength and clarity it starts and uh, is developed also in, in, uh, in our dreams. So stories also help us bring our dreams back to memory. All dreams are capable of introducing you to all of your probable lives, parallel lives, past, present, and future lives, everywhere and every time. Until next time, blessed be.
are listening to Pagans Tonight. Pagans unite on Pagans Tonight. Many paths, one network. For over five years, we've been the place to connect with the best, brightest, and most trusted voices in the pagan world. Every night is Pagans Tonight. 